Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the readings for the fourth Sunday of Advent. That's December 20th, 2020. Uh, these readings for the fourth Sunday uh, tell us three things. One, God is faithful all the time, no matter how long a time it takes for him to be faithful. Two, God often uses intermediaries to speak to his people. And three, God desires our obedience even when the things don't make sense to us or what he asks goes against our desires. Mary and David, both in these readings, Mary in the gospel and David in the first reading, were able to accept what God had to say and move forward. Uh, they experienced all three of these things and they were obedient to God. Oftentimes, I suspect that we also experience these three things and we're not quite as obedient as David and Mary were. So let's take a look at the readings and, and see if we can figure out what that's really saying to us. We'll begin with the first reading, uh, which is for, uh, from 2 Samuel, various verses from 7.1 through 7.16. Now, there's a parallel passage to this in 1 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 1 through 15, that tell, recounts basically the same story. Uh, and so the, a note in the New Jerusalem Bible for this passage says uh, that this uh, this chapter is constructed on a range of meanings of, uh, attached to the uh, word uh, for house. It can be palace, temple, dynasty, family, or lineage. And more particularly, the antithesis, David is not supposed to build a house or a temple for God. So we get into this. Let's look at this. And so it says, when David was settled in his palace. Now remember, David, the word David, the Hebrew means beloved. So David was not only the beloved of Jesse, but he was the beloved of God. And if you look in, uh, when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration uh, and, and his baptism, God said, this is my beloved son. So David, Jesus fulfills that part of the prophecy. And what we'll see in these readings is that many biblical uh, Old Testament pros property, pros prophecies are uh, fulfilled in these passages. So he says, he'd been given... And the Lord had given him rest from his enemies. We'll see that, that that promises again, I will give you rest from your enemies down toward the end of this. And uh, so God is giving David the rest that he has, that he needs. He's resting in God. He's resting in the Lord rather than his own efforts. And he says, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God dwells in a tent. Now, David David spoke about this again in Psalm 132, verses 1 through 5. It says, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, his humility, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not get, get sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one. So David recounts that. And if you look in the Psalms, a lot of the Psalms are written about things that happened in David's life. So David is saying, I've got a house, I've got a palace here, and God's still in this tent, this tent that came from Egypt and has gone all these, these hundreds of years and he's been in a tent, he's never had a permanent dwelling place. I'm going to build a palace for God. And Nathan, uh, who is his advisor and a prophet, and today we might call him a spiritual director, said, basically said, go do whatever you have in mind for the Lord is with you. David, Nathan knew that God and David had a very close relationship. So in, in effect, Nathan was saying, 
you're so close to God, God must have told you to do this, or it, it ought to be all right with God because you're the one that's, that's wanting to do this. So Nathan gave him the go-ahead. But what we read in most of the rest of this passage is that God, that's really not what God wanted. It made sense for David to do this. It was a good and holy thing. As, as many of the holy things that we want to do sound good and they sound holy, but they really aren't what God wants us to do. And we have to be very alert to that. So let's look at what Nathan does. It says, but that night the Lord spoke to Nathan and said, go tell my servant. And the word servant there is a Hebrew word that probably means more slave than servant like we think of uh, in, in our terms today. Say, tell my servant, my beloved, thus says the Lord. So Nathan is being a prophet here. Thus says the Lord indicates that Nathan is supposed to speak for God. Should you build me a house to dwell in? God saying, who do you think you are? Are you the one that I've chosen to build my house? And this must have been a shock. And, and what we see, what we don't actually have here is when David came and talked, or Nathan came and talked to David, uh, he repeated all this. And what, that's really amazing, isn't it, that, that Nathan could come and say, you know, I was wrong yesterday when I gave you this spiritual advice. Uh, I should have said this because God told me that I should have said this. But, but he, let's go on with the passage here. Are you the one to build a house for me? I, it was I who took you from the pasture. And that, that's, that's, and that pasture is an abode as well. And let's look at Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72 which also talks about the same thing. It says, he chose David to be his servant. He took him from the sheepfold, took him from tending ewes to the, to the pasture, his servant Jacob. I mean, sorry. Start, start that again. Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72. He chose David to be his servant, took him from the sheepfold, took him from tending ewes to pasture his servant Jacob and Israel, his heritage. He pastured them, and with unblemished heart and sensitive hand, he led them. So David, God took David from where he was and made him into something different. Chose him from this, uh, uh, the pasture, can, it's a place where the sheep live. So he, from, and from care of the flock, to be the commander of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went. So God has been beside David the whole time. Uh, and David didn't always understand that. And I will make you famous like the great on the earth. I will fix a place for my people Israel. I will plant them so that, that they may dwell in their place. So God is going to give, again, he's talking about having a dwelling place for the people of Israel, a house. Uh, and so he's going to plant them. And uh, if you look in Isaiah uh, 11.5, I believe it is, he talks about that he took the vine from Egypt and planted it in the promised land. So what are we talking about here? He, he says, he'll make you famous. Uh, I will fix my place for the people. I will plant them. Neither shall the wicked continue to afflict as they did of old, since I have appointed judges over my people. I will give you rest from your enemies. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 25 and 26. And this is talking about Jesus. For he is to be, to be king until he made his enemies his footstool, and the last of the enemies to run away with his death, for he has put all things under his feet. So again, here in, in this 
passage we have that God is talking about David, but it's also of a prophet about Jesus being the king who's going to destroy all the enemies. And, and of course, our last enemy is death, and Jesus is going to destroy that by his death and resurrection. The Lord also reveals to you that he will establish a house for you. So God is going to, David's living in a palace now, but God says he's going to establish a house for him. And again, if we look at that note from uh, the New Jerusalem Bible, it can mean a dynasty, a family, a lineage. And so God is saying that I'm going to establish a lineage for you, a house for you. And he says, and when the time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your heir after you sprung from your loins and I will make his kingdom firm. So again, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, 25 to 26, he's going to last forever. And so we, do, we have to understand that. I will, I will make his kingdom firm. Uh, so there we are. And we, we need to understand that, uh, what, what is going on there, that God is saying that to him. And he's saying that, he's prophesying that Jesus is going to be his descendant to sit on his throne for, forever. And it says, and I will be a father to him and he a son to me. So what do we ha- What was the first thing that we read in the uh, gospel of Mark? Uh, it says, Jesus, the son of God. So, and God, again, at the time of the baptism and of the transfiguration, he calls Jesus his son. Your house shall in- and your kingdom shall endure forever. Before me, your throne stand firm forever. I'm going to read from uh, Psalm 89. It's part of it is, well, it's down here in, in the response. I made a covenant with my children. I have sworn to my servant David forever. I will confirm your posterity and establish your throne for all generations. So even the responsorial psalm talks about this. All right. So let's look at the gospel. And the gospel is is heavily laden as well. And uh, I, I don't know uh, exactly where to begin with this. Uh, this gospel, uh, we're told, is from Mary's point of view, or this particular account is from Mary's point of view, that she told Luke this when he wrote this. It says, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now, who is the angel Gabriel? This isn't the first time he's shown up. He, he Actually, if you if you look, I don't remember his name, when he talked to Zechariah, Elizabeth, or John the uh, husband, Jack, uh, John the Baptist's father. But uh, this is the same angel. But we don't. that's not the first time we saw him either. If you look back in Daniel 8, 16, we, we can read that the angel Gabriel was sent to, to Daniel. It says, I heard a human voice cry over Uli. Gabriel, tell him the meaning of the vision. So Gabriel was supposed to explain to Daniel the meaning of the vision that Daniel had seen. So they, the, word Gabe, the name Gabriel uh, is one that means man of God or warrior of God. But what we see in the scriptures typically is that Gabriel is God's announcer, his messenger uh, par excellence. Although angel means messenger, Gabriel is the one is typically God's spokesman when an angel is speaking to people. And I suspect that probably Gabriel uh, may have been speaking to Abraham and others in the past. So go down to Nazareth, town of Galilee. Now, Galilee is an interesting situation. If if you look at uh, a couple of places, Galilee is a region that when Solomon finally did build the temple, David's son built the temple, he engaged the king of Syria to uh, Lebanon, to pardon me, to bring the cedars in. Uh, 
for the temple. And in exchange for that, he gave the northern part of Israeli territory to the, uh, Lebanon, which would be the area around Galilee. And Galilee, it just basically means that it's an, uh, an area around there, and it's on the northern edges of the Sea of Galilee, uh, to a town called Nazareth, which is means the guarded one. So, And in this region then, uh, in the Old Testament in particular, the, there were Jews living in Galilee, but there were also uh, a lot of pagans there. So it was a mixed territory. So Nazareth then was a place, a sanctuary within this area, uh, so we're looking here at about a lot of a lot of things that, that Galilee is particularly important because it's that region between Israel and the outside world, between Israel and the the Gentiles. It's also an area that was a, a part of the crossroads from Europe into Asia. So, to a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now I'm I'm going to do a little aside here, and I want I want to look at this. Uh, because if you look at the, the uh, genealogy of Jesus in, in Luke 23, 38, you will see that in the very end it says, uh, the son of Canaan, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. So what we, ha we have here is that Jesus is the new Adam in this case that's going on. So, but let's look again in Mac in, in Mark's uh, genealogy, uh, which is in Mark nine seven. It says, no, "I mean, sorry, Mark in Mark's genealogy, uh, uh, sorry Matthew, uh, it's, it says, Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, who, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ." Now, why is that important? Let's let's look again at the Old Testament. So here it says, Joseph the son of Jacob. Where is the other Joseph, the son of Jacob? It's in the Old Testament. Remember, Joseph was sold into slavery into Egypt. And Joseph was the savior of his people in Egypt when the, when the famine struck uh, Canaan. And they rescued them there and they were there. Now, so here we've got another Joseph who is going to be the one that provides the rescue for people as well through his son. And Jesus is a son of Joseph, not only the son of God, but the son of Joseph here. And what we know is that uh, eventually the people in Egypt were went into slavery and had to be delivered from that slavery. And Egypt is a symbol of uh, sin, the slavery of sin. So it's interesting that the Joseph, the son of Jacob in Genesis brought the people into Egypt, which eventually led to slavery and a symbol of sin. And Joseph, the son of Jacob, is going to be the father of Jesus, the foster father of Jesus, who is going to bring the people out of slavery for sin. And he's of the house of David. So Jesus is going to fulfill that promise that we saw in the, in the New Testament reading that uh, a descendant of David was going to do this. Uh, and he was betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, Mary, Mary's name is, was very common, but you have to look at this, another, a couple of other things that we can look at uh, here that, that are very important to think about. Number one, the name Mary is the same as Miriam, the, the sister of Moses who led 
a rebellion in the desert. If you remember correctly, I believe she uh, suffered from leprosy because of her rebellion. And so we have this Mary of the Old Testament who led, who led the people into rebellion and into sin. And the Mary of the New Testament is again going to be the instrument by which the people are delivered from rebellion and sin. And the other thing that's interesting to note here, and, and we can take a look at it, is the, the, the Mary, if Jesus is the new Adam, uh, which uh, we have in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it says, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But Mary is the new Eve. And what was promised to Eve in first, in Genesis uh 3.15, it says, I shall put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. It, mean the serpent, the devil, will bruise your heel and you will head and you will strike its heel. Now, it's talking to the serpent, pardon me. Let me start that over. Uh, the first, th Genesis 3.15, I shall put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, to the devil, between your offspring and hers, I will bruise your head and you shall strike its heel. So again, we have this situation where God is using parallelism here between Jesus is the new Adam who was a rebellion and Eve who led the rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Then God started his promise that he was promising a savior back in Genesis 3.15 to this old Eve and the new Eve is Mary. So, and coming, he said to her, hail, full of grace. Now that word hail is an interesting word. It's the same word, Greek word that's used in Philippians 4.4, 4, where, where Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Or that passage in 1 Thessalonians 5.16 uh, uh, that we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, as our first reading, well, it actually is last week, on the third Sunday of Advent, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of Christ for you. Rejoice always. It's that rejoice. It's it, So it, it can also mean hail, but it's rejoice. And so it's full of grace. The, the Greek word actually is graceful, which really means full of grace, doesn't it? But she was greatly troubled. Now, I think I would be pretty troubled if God came, some, sent somebody to me and said, Gene, full of grace. Uh, I know that's not true for sure. But he said, do not be afraid, for God has married, for you have found favor with God. Now, that word for fear is phobia, which, from which we get our, our word phobias. Uh, and it's very common. It's like, what is it, 300 and some odd times in the Old Testament that God tells us not to be afraid. It's the same thing that was told to uh, to uh, Zechariah in the previous chapter when, when the angel talked to him when he was in the temple. It says, uh, Luke 12, 1, 12 to 13 says, the sight disturbed Zechariah and he was overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Zechariah, do not be afraid for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth is to bear a, you a son and you shall name him John. So this, uh, again, if I were to encounter an angel, I believe I would probably be fairly afraid as well. So we've got that. 
And then he goes on to be, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Uh, Isaiah 7.14 says, the Lord will give you a sign in any case. It is this, a young woman was with child and will give birth to a son whom she will call Emmanuel. And so it, we go through the same promise that was given to, to, uh, to, to David in the first reading. Uh, and Mary is surprised, says, how could this be? I'm a virgin. I, I, I don't have relations with a man. And that word for relations is, is to, is, means to know. In this, it's that word that the Hebrews used for sexual relations. So don't be surprised there uh, by that. Uh, and the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, if you look at Mark 9, 7, at the transfiguration, we have another taste. It says, a cloud overshadowed them. A voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism uh, through a cloud. So this overshadowing is a sense that God comes and takes possession of what he's doing there. And he's, she's no, and so he will be called the Holy One of God, the Son of God, the Holy One, the Son of God. Again, his son. And behold, your relative Elizabeth has also conceived in her old, a son in her old age. This is her sixth month uh, for who, who was called barren. The Greek word basically means sterile. For nothing is impossible with God. How often do we put limitations on what God can do for us? Nothing is impossible for God. There's another place where Jesus says, with men it's impossible, and but all things are possible for God. Again, God also said this in Genesis 18, 14, uh, when he was speaking to, to, uh, to Abraham, saying, this, nothing is impossible for Yahweh. I shall come back to you this same time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Again, someone who was barren, sterile having a son uh, and again in jeremiah 32 27 says look i am yahweh god of all humanity is anything impossible to me so god is telling us that it's going to be there in that way and then mary says the thing that is so behold i am the handmaid which means the slave girl of the lord may it be done unto me according to your word the, and then the angel departed from her Mary didn't understand what was going on. She didn't know how it was going to happen. She probably really didn't even understand after the uh, angel had talked with her, but she accepted it anyway. And Mary knew in her whole mind that if somebody thought that she had been adulterous, that she would face stoning if people found out. But she accepted anyway. Let's take a quick look at the second reading, which is from Romans 16, 25 to 27. And it's a long reading. And it, to him who can strengthen you. Okay, when you're weak, when you're fearful, the one who can strengthen you. This is uh, So according to my gospel, the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, and mystery there doesn't, it means something that's secret or hidden, uh, kept secret for long ages. So again, this is this whole idea that God kept secret for a long time how he was going to save humanity but now manifested in the, through the prophetic writings according to the command of the eternal God. 
So let's take a quick look at the couple of scriptures there that go along with that. And one of those is 1 Corinthians 2, 7. It is of the mysterious wisdom of God that we talk the wisdom that was hidden, which God predestined to be for our glory before the ages began. So God's plan of salvation happened before what we read in Genesis 1. He knew what was going to happen. He already had a plan to redeem man. And Colossians 1.26 says, The message, which was a mystery hidden for generations and centuries, has now been revealed to his holy people. So God is always revealing himself to his people. Uh, and according to the command of the eternal God, made known to all nations to bring about the obedience of faith. And here Paul is talking about, again, when he's talking to the Romans, he's saying, Look, the Jews think this was just for them, but God did this for all people. If you look back to the the reading at the end at the in Genesis three, the promise was to Eve, the mother of all nations. The promise that was made to Mary was was to a Jewish girl. But it is to all people that the promise of salvation was given. And so to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be glory forever. And if you look at the responsorial psalm, it's Psalm 89. I really rec I invite you to listen to Psalm 80 or read Psalm 89 this week because it's a, it's really a psalm of, about all the things we're talking about, David, and it's a total and complete prophecy about how we should do uh, with Jesus our, as our Savior. So, the, again, we've already talked about it. I've made a covenant with my chosen one. And let's go back up to the front, though. It says, The promise of the Lord I will sing forever. Through all generations my mouth shall proclaim your faithfulness. For you have said, My kindness is established forever. In heaven you have confirmed your faithfulness. God is faithful even when we are not faithful. And it goes on to talk about, You are my Father, my God, the Rock, my Savior. David saying this. God is his Father. And so you... We have a whole set of readings here that tell us that God has a special plan for all of us. That we are called, in many cases, just like David and Mary were called. Maybe not as spectacularly, and maybe the promises aren't as long-lasting, but God is continually placing a call on the lives of each of us, or he has. And he speaks to us not only directly, but he speaks to us through other people. God's plan is that we should fulfill his plan, not our own. And we shouldn't be afraid because what he asks us to do is something that is, seems a little bit strange to us or uncomfortable to us. I wish you uh, to review your attitudes this week and ask God what he wants of you. And since we won't be talking, we may not be talking again before Christmas, I wish you a Merry Christmas. God bless you all.